0: Hello. Hey, Mom. Hi, Luke. What you doing? Well, I'm calling to wish you an early Happy Mother's Day.
1: Oh, thank you. Yes. Very sweet of you.
0: I have to give it to you early because, as you know, next weekend, Houston Comic Palooza, we're doing a live recording of 30 Pop, so I can't come home to see you. I have to stay in Houston for a comic convention. You can give me tickets. That's true. Would you want to come down?
1: Uh, sure. No, I probably can't. <laughs>
0: I didn't figure you would. I think you'd be very out of place at a comic convention. You do? Yes, I absolutely do. I'm not sure you've ever read a comic book in your life.
1: Yes, I used to read Archie comic books. And Millie the Model of comic
0: books. There will be a huge Archie following at Houston Comic Palooza, I'm sure. I don't know that for a fact. But yeah. we are recording an episode Friday at 2 o'clock, looking back 30 years at Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. You are invited if you would like to come.
1: Oh, that would be so fun.
0: But if you can't come, I'll just say I love you, your wonderful mother. Happy Mother's Day. Oh,
1: thank you so much. And will this be recorded like. On a regular podcast thing, we can listen to.
0: Yes, we're recording our thirty-year Indiana Jones episode a little bit early, so that we can release it as the thirty-pop episode a couple weeks later.
1: Oh, wonderful! Oh, I enjoyed yeah. the Mickey Mouse one. That was fun. Well,
0: good. Okay. Thanks, Mom. All right. Love, I love you. I love you. Bye. Bye. From Milieu Media Group, this is Thirty Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from thirty years ago. I'm your host, Luke Brauner. This is Season 1, Episode 12, Petty, Cure, and Five Golden Things with comedian Tim Babb. Today, we're looking back at the week that ended May 6th, 1989. Hello, dear friends. Welcome to Episode 12 of 30 Pop. We're now three months into this journey together, and I'd be lying if I said producing this show hasn't become the highlight of my week every week. And that has everything to do with you. I'm so thankful for all of you who are listening so faithfully, sharing the show with friends, calling in to the 30-pop answering machine, and leaving very kind reviews on Apple Podcasts. We're up to 84 ratings as of this recording, 82 of which have been 5 stars, and 19 reviews. Only a couple of which were submitted for our giveaway of tickets to An Evening with John Cusack with a screening of Say Anything followed by a Q&A with John on June 16th at Jones Hall in Houston. I'll be announcing the winner on the next episode of 30 pop. So be sure to get your name in the mix. All you have to do to enter is follow at 30 pop podcast and at SPA Houston on Instagram and send me a screenshot of your five-star review on Apple podcasts. If you're not an Apple user, or if you'd already submitted a review before the giveaway started, you're welcome to leave a review on our Facebook page at 30 pop instead. Now let's dig into this past week in 1989. As I mentioned in last week's Mickey Mouse Club Marathon episode, the number one album and single yet again on the Billboard charts is Madonna's Like a Prayer. There was a huge country music release though this week in 1989, or at least it seemed huge to me growing up in a country music loving family. The debut album by artist and songwriter Clint Black, "Killin' Time, which had an impressive four number one singles in the U.S. over the course of 89 and 90. There was nothing terribly notable happening in film or television this week, but there were some pretty major political headlines as Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North was convicted on three of 16 felony charges in the Iran-Contra affair, charges which were vacated and dismissed a couple years later. I was young enough to have had no idea what this was all about, but old enough to remember seeing his face on TV all the time and changing the channel, probably to the Mickey Mouse Club, a show that, again, we covered in great depth last week to the dismay of my self-proclaimed high school deviant turned middle-aged curmudgeon friend stephanie kay with whom i got to sit down this week to sort of clear the air here's our conversation Stephanie, welcome back to 30 Pop. So great to have you.
2: Thanks, Luke. I'm glad to be here.
0: So over the course of this first season, you've had a little (laughs) bit of issue with the conversations that you have and have not been invited to participate in and the conversations that have and have not happened. Correct? Is that fair? I guess that's fair. You've taken issue. I mean, it's fair to say because you've left me some pretty angry voicemails, (laughs) which we have aired for all to hear. And so I want to... I apologize. No, no, no. No, it's fine. I want you to know that today... I'm inviting you to talk about something that you will care deeply about.
2: Oh, I'm so scared.
0: (laughs) So, you finally get a good episode. Okay. Are you excited?
2: I am. I'm nervous. I feel like I should have a lot to say, and I'm worried I might not.
0: Okay. This week, 30 years ago, number one film in the box office for the third week in a row was Pet Cemetery.
2: Oh, God. I was so scared. I can't. It scares me so bad. Does it
0: really? Okay, I was actually meant that as a joke because I didn't think no. there was any way that you would care about Pet Cemetery. I was
2: scared of everything as a child.
0: We're not going to talk about Pet Cemetery. Okay, good. <laughs> Last week, I was unable to air the episode that you so wanted about Tom Petty. Oh, yes. And maybe we'll talk about Tom Petty, but first I want to give you an opportunity. There's another album that released 30 years ago this week. Okay. That I don't know for a fact that you cared about, but my gut says you probably did. Oh, gosh, this feels like pressure. The album Disintegration by The Cure.
2: Oh, good God, yes. Oh, <laughs> so geez. you're a Cure
0: fan. I had a feeling.
2: I had Robert Smith's haircut in high school. So.
0: Oh, that's true. I, that's, <laughs> I guess I did know you're a Cure fan.
2: I got, Ladies, do not take a picture of Robert Smith or any other man, probably. I don't know to your hairstylist and say make me look like this. I did.
0: More than once, right? Yeah. That's I mean, I took
2: Morrissey's picture. I took a picture of a guy off a of surfer magazine.
1: <laughs> it's
0: classic. Okay, yeah. so this record Disintegration, huge album for them. Probably I would yeah. say their greatest hit, Love Song oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. on this record. Yeah. Tell me about your experience with The Cure. I was nine years old, so I was not interacting with The Cure. The music is familiar to me today, Mm -hmm. but obviously in real time, Mm -hmm. I didn't know who The Cure were. I just knew my older cousin, who I idolized, loved The Cure. But even he was more of a Depeche Mode guy, so I don't know. So talk me through it, The Cure.
2: Oh, gosh. Where do I even start? Was
0: your love affair with Robert Smith's hair or with Robert Smith, and so you wanted his hair? It wasn't
2: even Robert Smith. There was something about that music. I still can't totally pin it down, but it literally it was the soundtrack for the rest of high school for me that album in particular I mean, every breakup, every everything was to that album, and it was just. Well,
0: you've shared before that there were some that were tied to Paula Abdul. So,
2: well, that that wasn't even really a a breakup. That was like something that never actually happened. (laughs) I wanted it to be more than it was. It was a preemptive breakup. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it happened because I threw music at him. But that is one of those albums that can just transport me back through time. I can remember places and people and. Actual conversations that happened and the way things felt and the way things looked, you know, it was just Mm -hmm. it was that big in my life. But it wasn't just me. Like there's a whole group of people like you could just play the first notes from a song and they'd be like, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, that was us. That was high school.
0: Okay, so besides The Cure and Mm -hmm. obviously Tom Petty, which we may or may not discuss, I don't know. I just wasn't a big fan. So, we, you know, I'm just kidding. I'm saying that. I'm just getting <laughs> a reaction. I feel
2: like you just constantly try to needle me and I am offended. I am angry all the time just by.
0: That's funny because I feel like you do the same thing to me, but I'm not mad at you for it. It's I don't just, understand. You know. you
2: should, maybe I should try harder. Well,
0: you're going to play the part of my big sister, I think, on this show. That's, okay, I think okay. that's what we're dealing right. with here. Yeah. You okay, had a nine year old brat brother. So, okay. that's what's. Think of it that I way. I did, actually. Yeah.
2: So, okay. yeah. <laughs> that's-
0: <laughs> so besides Petty, The Cure, Debbie Gibson, and Paul Abdul, what were you into?
2: That was the year Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians came out. I think I mentioned before, like I loved, loved, loved good dance Debbie Gibson, dance- yes, you have Did mentioned you that multiple Debbie times. Debbie Gibson, God, just let it go. Can you just, you're beating a dead horse. Dance music. So like anything that was danceable. All the stuff that was kind of being done with hip hop, especially where it was being Incorporated into these dance songs, like these techno mashups, but there was also so one of the things I think we have to set up is like it's the end of night of the eighties, nineteen eighties, and it was a weird time. Like that was you know, sure, yeah. It was just everything was very glitzy and capitalistic and very just. I didn't grow up in a wealthy family. My dad was a welder. He we were working class, but there was a period in the eighties where the oil business was booming. And I remember just money flowing. Like that's all I remember of that time. And it feeling very discombobulating for me. Like it just felt unsafe is a way I can talk about it. So by the end of the 80s, I was just very disillusioned with America. I mean, i had spent my whole childhood being afraid of nuclear war. Like I literally would every night would as a child, just cry, (laughs) afraid, like, there was going to be a nuclear war and everyone was going to die and I'd be the only one left and I'd have to figure it out. Because there was just, like, you know, all this Cold War stuff happening. And so by the end of the 80s, like, I started noticing it felt like music was shifting a little bit. And so... That's what it feels like to me. Like, that was the point in time. Like, I always had this bent, even as a child, towards justice. But, like, to begin hearing it in the music that was coming out then, or mm-hmm. like a softer side of the music that wasn't some cheesy ballad, like, it just, Tom Petty's one of those, like, Full Moon Fever was one that I just went, oh, this feels true. Like, yeah. I couldn't even, at the time, I wouldn't have had the vocabulary for it.
0: Indigo Girls self title. Yeah, indigo- we talked about yeah. that. That had just yeah. come out, also. Same vein, same, mm-hmm. musically the same vein, but also, mm-hmm. like, sort of, message the same yeah. vein. I'm looking at a picture right now of Robert Smith in 1989, and my gosh, I totally believe you about the hair. <laughs> I
2: mean,
0: I, I get it. I would not yeah. have wanted that hair, but I could see how you would yeah, have wanted that it hair. Was so, a
2: dark child.
0: So, gothic, they're described, I'm looking on Wikipedia, mm-hmm. introspective and gloomy goth rock. And that's more the answer I was expecting from you. So, you <laughs> hearing you say like dance music and hip hop is really off brand in my well, so, of okay.
2: You. The weird thing was they were dark and gloomy, but like the music didn't sound dark and gloomy. Like what they were saying, mm-hmm. the words were some of them, but the music, some of it felt really upbeat. And you know, it was just this weird kind of. I don't even know how to say it, maybe a tension in every Mm -hmm. song where you're like, this doesn't feel the way it sounds, if that makes sense.
0: Sure. Yeah. I don't remember the Mickey Mouse Club ever covering The Cure, though. No. They didn't perform, to my knowledge, any of these songs live. So I would not have had exposure to them. Yeah. But Love Song, I'm trying to think, like, it's been in so many movies and stuff, and it's been redone. So like the Mm -hmm. band 311 did it. Mm -hmm. Adele obviously did Mm -hmm. an unbelievable version of the song. The song holds up. I mean, it is.
2: That whole album holds up. Like the entire album. Like, I usually have always been a person who picks and chooses what I like on an album, and that I can listen to it from beginning to end.
0: The track listing is plain song, pictures of you, closed down, love song, last dance. Lullaby, so good. Fascination Street, yep. Prayers for Rain, yep, yep, yep. The Same Deep Water As You, Disintegration, Homesick, and Untitled. But I don't... Love Song's the only one that really jumps out at me. Lullaby seems like it would be You would probably
2: like, know it if you heard it. Sure like would. I mean, I feel like that's the cure for people who didn't purposely seek out the cure. You know them, you just don't know these you are know the radio, them. These are the singles.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. So, okay. So we'll just do it. We missed Tom Petty last week. You know, it's funny. I thought I had an old interview recorded about this week Uh with a past guest, Ryan Hamilton, who was, who is the biggest Tom Petty fan I've ever known. He's a musician.
2: I feel so much pressure now.
0: (laughs) I mean, well, so here's the story. I'm positive somewhere in my archives. I have audio of him sharing this story, but I can't find it. I looked this morning. So, but he has a story, you know, he's a musician and upon the news of Tom Petty's death, which he took very, very hard, a friend who is a fan of his music reached out to him and said, you know, I think he said he was a cab driver or something in LA. And he once gave a ride to Tom Petty and he had Ryan's music playing and Tom Petty got in the car and he's like, what is this music? And told him, I really like this. And that was like, yes, that affirms everything
2: I believe about Tom Petty.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'm going to be honest. All of my Tom Petty fandom is posthumous. I kind of never had an appreciation for him I do now as a songwriter and his voice has even grown on me, but you have to understand I grew up listening to hip hop. And so Tom Petty was like so very (laughs) far. Yeah, I was just like, I don't, I mean, I liked Free Fall, but who didn't? It did not resonate for me until I was an adult. And so talk me through it. Why did you love Tom Petty in 1989?
2: So I didn't love Tom Petty before Full Moon Fever. And I was completely aware of him, knew his music, but like I wasn't a fan of Tom Petty as part of the Traveling Wilburys either. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were what they were; they were, you know, a super group. But I think what I loved about there's a lot of ways I need to talk about this. So the first thing is that album felt the way like talking about the Indigo Girls or talking about some of that other music that was coming Mm -hmm. out at the end of the '80s. And it's the way I kind of feel about grunge when I started hearing grunge for the first time, that there was just this, it was just truth. I was just like, oh, someone's telling the truth, you know? And it was, so that album, like, I can't always pinpoint why, like, particular songs feel true, but it's just speaking in a way that feels right. And it's not just songs. I do it with visual art or, you know, just prose or poetry, whatever it is. Like, some things just feel like, they're speaking a universal truth somehow. Mm-hmm. Full Moon Fever felt that way for some reason. It just felt kind of like a giant middle finger to, like, capitalism in some ways, even sure. though, like, it wasn't saying that necessarily. There's something about his music, like, reflecting back on it. As a young girl who just was living out in the middle of nowhere, I felt seen. Like, it felt like he saw people that didn't feel seen. Necessarily, mm-hmm. And I think it's the way he uses imagery. Like that album has – the songs have such beautiful imagery and they – like you can picture what he's singing about and who he's singing about. And some of it's a little snarky and it's – you know, it fills mm-hmm. some of the lines. And so I don't know. There was something about that that I was like, he's my people. You know, like it mm-hmm. just felt like he was someone that would understand – where I was from or, you know, who I was, that sort of thing. Yeah. I know so that not, was just a lot of words to so not, not say anything. Not
0: but. Physically seen. Because if your hair looked like Robert Smith <laughs> at the time, I feel like you'd have been pretty hard to miss.
2: I feel like that's just the case with my hair in general. But yeah, I felt seen in my soul if got that it. helps.
0: I got it. You know, and I wonder how much of that was that specific music or was the age that you were when it released, because I think back on the music that I first resonated with in that way. And it was all when I was a teenager also, like an Mm -hmm. older teenager. And it was like, that's when music started. I I guess I was looking for something different in the music. Mm -hmm. Well,
2: yeah, of course. Developmentally, that's where we are at that age. you know, We're not listening with the same ear we were listening with as a preteen or as a child.
0: Yeah, isn't that funny? Because Mm -hmm. it's also like now that I'm middle-aged, I hear music that's coming out today. And it's back to just sounding frivolous. To yeah, me. you know what mm-hmm. I mean. It doesn't. I, Welcome I can enjoy to middle it.
2: age, Luke. <laughs>
0: I can enjoy it, but I still find truth from the same music where I first discovered it. If mm-hmm. that makes sense, I think yeah. that's an interesting. thing. Well,
2: and I think it's just kind of that thing. It's it's where we first heard it, so it's imprinted on in us in a way that it's just timeless. And it's kind of the thing I use to judge when I can recognize something is true for the first time. It's what I judge everything else by mm-hmm. after that. Does yeah, it, it becomes feel the rule. Right? Does yeah. it feel? true. And so talking about the music that way, like it's why I had such a strong reaction to when y'all did the episode on Say Anything. And I was like, you don't understand. You did not even bother to talk to an actual teenager because that was one of
0: those movies that just felt True. I mean, I did, though. I talked to John Cusack and Irony Sky. You know, yes,
2: go ahead, rub it in. (laughs) I'm not rubbing it in. I'm
0: just saying, like, I talked to people who were were pretty close to ground zero (laughs) with that film.
2: (laughs) That's not what I'm saying, Luke. (laughs) You're just egging me on.
0: I'm not. I'm I'm defending myself. You just want something to bleep.
2: That's all you want. (laughs) No,
0: but I'm just saying, like, I did talk to people who were close to the film. That's not And people who were deeply affected by the film.
2: Obviously, if they were in it.
0: If you have something you want to say to Latifa who was my guest on that episode, no, she was great. if there's something you feel like she didn't cover, you're welcome to air it out right here no, and no, now. No, no, no. no you no. you've done it with Debbie, you may as well do it with Latifa.
2: I thought Latifa, I thought you did a great job. In fact, the little thing you said about getting fluttery butterflies in your stomach, I was like at least she got that. She understood what was being represented in that film. So, so And you like, had already
0: disqualified her in her mind because she's not as old as you or?
2: Luke. I'm uh, asking.
0: I'm really asking.
2: I think it's different to be a teenager at the time sure. than it is to be, I don't know, how old was she? Would she have been? She was eight. Eight, eight. yeah. Seven or eight, I mean, yeah. those are two totally different experiences. That's true. Know? So...
0: But I mean, I don't think that disqualifies her or me from participating in this conversation on the show it that I It does not.
2: But to talk about what it was like to experience that as a teenager 30 years ago.
0: Okay. Well, here's my invitation to okay. you. We are still promoting that episode because okay. we are doing a giveaway uh-huh. for John Cusack in Houston. Oh,
2: that I can't go to.
0: So it still makes sense for us to talk about it. If you would like to address, say anything, on behalf of all the teenagers from 1989, Here's your chance.
2: So literally, okay, the same thing that I said about Tom Petty's music or the Indigo Girls music or Edie Brickell, that movie felt like it was something a little different than kind of what we had seen. Like I, I was brought up on, you know, through those early teen years on a pretty solid diet of John Hughes. Yeah. So that's a different-
0: Which is something that I will forever be envious of.
2: (laughs) I can't even tell you. I watched Pretty in Pink the other night. Me too, uh, (laughs) like two weeks ago.
0: And I was like, God, it's still so good. I know. I was
2: like, yep. (laughs) That prom scene at the end when Andrew McCarthy comes out, I'm just like, yep, 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 yep. Right there. Oh, so good. It's all so good. And that Pretty in Pink even did a little of that where it kind of just pushed back against I just keep calling it capitalism, like the greed and the sure. you know the excess and everything. But there was something just so pure about Lloyd Dobler and like I knew him in school, you know, like everyone knows A Lloyd Dobler and they grow up to be these really amazing adults but not everyone is seeing that in them when they're in high school and in some ways I felt a little bit like I was Lloyd Dobbler I was not Diane I was Lloyd Dobbler mm-hmm. and I was kind of this kid that like had potential but didn't live up to it and I was a little weird and I was a little you know everybody was like what are your plans and I was like I don't really have any plans so like I think, the fact that as a teenager, I could identify with his character, I think is kind of what makes it like, oh, that is a universal truth. Like you don't have to be male and pursuing a girl and, you know, like anyone could be Lloyd Dobler, yeah. you know?
0: I, it's so. funny you say that because I remember the Lloyd Dobler from my high school. Mm-hmm. I've never connected that until you mm-hmm. just said like everybody had a Lloyd Dobler. And we have a guy in my school that was 100, I mean, he even wore a trench coat. Mm-hmm. He was 100% Lloyd Dobler. Mm-hmm. And this would have been 10 years later, but... It's just interesting to hear that. So, yeah. you were the Lloyd Dobbler of your school. Well,
2: I was a Lloyd Dobbler. You know, I was just kind of not aimless. Like, I had goals and I had dreams. I didn't really feel like maybe I was going to be able to live those out. I was super sensitive, but I had this kind of a little bit tough exterior. Robert I just. Smith hair. Yeah, I know. I could have probably finessed the physical appearance <sighs> a little <laughs> better. But. Yeah, but it was all very protective sure. of who I was on the inside, and I didn't feel safe to just be who I was. Yeah, so, I hear that. Yeah. So I just, I don't know, that's one of those movies that just like his vulnerability when he's holding the boombox over his head outside her window. I like to this day the way that makes me feel in my body and just like understanding what's on the line. Yeah. For him, you know. And Does I'm your like, husband
0: ever, do you ever make him like put on a trench coat and hold the boombox over his head? To... No, no. No? Would, okay. That
2: would, no. That would be weird. <laughs> He's no Lloyd Dobler.
0: <laughs> He's he was... a really nice guy, okay.
2: though. Okay. No, okay, go. let me say that. He has that part of Lloyd Dobler in him that he is the kindest, most sensitive person. So. Yeah.
0: yeah. He's just not a trench coat guy. No. Yeah, got no. it.
2: He's a fishing shirt guy. All right,
0: well, do you feel satisfied about the attention that we have now given to say anything and Tom Petty and your Robert Smith here.
2: I don't even feel like at this point it's the attention we're giving to that than the like the feelings I have about those things. <laughs> Which now so I'm just like this is a little narcissistic. With
0: the attention that we have given you
2: <laughs> to express my feelings to
0: express yourself.
2: I think so. Do you need to know anything else?
0: As long as you're happy. I'm just, I'm trying to see how to get yeah. back to like, you just don't want hey, any more I enjoy your voice. Exa- exactly. No more leaving messages on the machine that are critiquing the work that I'm doing, especially your critique from last week about the episode that was so very long and so very content rich and that I had stayed up until 730 in the morning working on. And to I to never actually released. addressed
2: anything from the episode and all you, except all the fact all you did was that,
0: complain that it wasn't the episode that you wanted, that I apparently owe you.
2: I mean, that is how this works. Everything's okay. about me, so I just need I you to it. know. No, I, I mean, high school was very important to me. You okay. need to know that. And music and movies were a big part of that.
0: Okay, well, if I offend you in future episodes by not You'll inviting you into particular sure. conversations that we've never discussed, so I have no idea what you were into. I feel
2: you know, like you just, should just ask just ahead of time. Just let me know.
0: I mean, I've, Just send me
2: the list. I've sent it to you. No, that's
0: not true. It's 100% true. No,
2: you sent me. Oh, yeah, you did. What was it?
0: A Google Doc no. with the entire year mapped out. No, you out. did
2: not. No, 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 no. All I got was a text was like, we're doing Major League. And I was like, I don't want to talk about Major League. Like, it was all right, but that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about... The-
0: you understand, though, that the show is recorded chronologically. I'm recording these as we go, so I can only talk about what's coming up this week. Or,
2: then you need to let our, me see what's week. coming up, and I can okay. build my schedule I will, I
0: will send you the Google Doc yes. again, and we will have you on again down the way. Probably not. But- <laughs> I will leave voice Possibly, yeah. So thank you so much for being on. We look forward to having you back in the future.
2: My pleasure.
0: You know, it's funny. I do give Stephanie a hard time, and I have for as long as we've been friends, and I'll definitely continue to. But in all honesty, she really is a pretty amazing person doing pretty amazing things to make the world a better place. She has my highest respect. Just don't tell her I said so. Now I'll share a little something about myself. As you know, if you've been listening, I own a podcast network called Mill You Media Group. The network has 10 shows currently with two more in the pipeline, and I produce all of them and host or co-host several of them. For that reason, I don't spend a lot of time these days actually listening to other podcasts. When I get in the car, I mostly just listen to Christmas music. If you know me at all, then you know that I'm one of those folks who celebrates Christmas year-round, and I'll gladly accept any judgment that comes with that. But for all of those reasons, one of the only podcasts that I do listen to faithfully is a show called The Can't Wait for Christmas Podcast, hosted by West Coast comedian Tim Babb. Tim is a really funny guy who happens to love Christmas just as much as I do. His show is silly and informative and super kid-friendly and gives me all the Christmas feels on the 25th of every month when he releases new episodes. But Christmas isn't the only thing we have in common. We also share a deep love for Disney parks, so we hopped on a call this week to talk about the grand opening of Walt Disney World's MGM Studios, now known as Hollywood Studios, in Orlando, Florida 30 years ago this week. Tim, welcome to 30 Pop. Thanks so much for being on today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So you are a comedian and the host of one of the podcasts that I listen to faithfully every month, the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast.
1: Yes. Comedian is, you know, debatable depending on who you ask, but I definitely host that podcast.
0: You say that you have like a live album out I listened to it a week or so ago and I was like, man, he's actually really, really funny. Like it's not just, you know, I'm so used to hearing like the very kid friendly Tim Babb. (laughs) But to hear you like in a live setting with an actual audience, man, really, really funny.
1: Oh, thank you very much.
0: So one of my favorite segments on your podcast every month since the very beginning, I believe since episode one, is a segment called Five Golden Things, wherein you share five things on any given month, your top five kind of whatever it is. Exactly. And so as a fellow Disney parks lover, I thought it'd be fun to have you on as we look back 30 years at the opening of MGM Studios, now Hollywood Studios, to hear your five golden things, your top five things about MGM Studios.
1: Now, I have to uh, put a proviso on this. Not all of these were there opening day.
0: That's totally cool. Yeah, I think there were only like six things there opening day. (laughs) So we'll talk about it as the park that you and I both know and love, the park formerly known as mgm studios (laughs) so take it away man with your five five golden things
1: all right so let's start with number five the indiana jones stunt spectacular yes yes i became a huge indiana jones fan way late to the game like long after last crusade came out for some reason, I all of a sudden became a fan of Harrison Ford. And, it was oh, it was a Fugitive. And I was like, look, he's been in a bunch of other things. Yeah. And so it was really cool to see all those stunts performed right in front of you. And I've never been able to be an audience volunteer, but I would love to be someday.
0: You know, it's funny. My wife has done it multiple times. What? She gets picked like every time we've gone to the park. She gets picked. It's crazy. Man, and that is timely because we are actually coming up on the 30th anniversary of Indiana Jones and the last crusade
1: yes 1989 has a lot of cool things that happened that year and that it definitely is one of them number four the rock and roller coaster which i'm a hundred percent sure was not their opening day yes
0: gosh <laughs> easily easily my favorite
1: ride i was so surprised at how much i liked it i used to do a video series on youtube called kingdom comedy where it was mostly all Disneyland until I finally took my first trip to the world. And the joke I made when I did the video about Hollywood Studios is it's always been my dream, having lived in LA for a couple of years, to actually drive fast on the LA freeways. And that roller coaster brings that dream to life.
0: Nice. You know, it's funny because I have never, ever liked Aerosmith's music until I fell in love with that roller coaster. And now every time I hear Aerosmith, it just takes me back, you know, <laughs> nice it makes me love it. So.
1: All right. And then my next one is not a bride. It's. Number three. The 50s Primetime Cafe. Okay, tell me why. That's the one where the waitstaff will basically insult you to your face. <laughs> I guess I haven't done that one. I thought I had, but I don't remember that. I was there with my wife. This is before we had kids. But there was another table next to us with like parents and kids, and the dad had not finished his vegetables, and so the waitress would not let him order dessert and was chastising him for not finishing his vegetables. Came away, came back to the table. He still hadn't. So she started stabbing them with her fork, and oh my goodness, their kids were loving it. It's like an almost an impromptu performance by all these uh, waitresses, and it's uh, just it's amazing. It's wonderful. Number two, Muppet Vision 3D.
0: Oh man, so good.
1: I was crestfallen when they took this out of Disneyland, so I am glad it still exists somewhere.
0: Oh man, you're killing me because I haven't been to the park in like three or four years and we used to go every year. So I'm, I've already kind of got the itch to go back, but this is <laughs> yeah. making it worse.
1: So I've got a couple of honorable mentions, if that's okay?
0: Yes, please. Honorable mentions!
1: The studio tour, which was definitely their opening day, you know, with Catastrophe Canyon and you know, like checking out the back lots and stuff.
0: Yeah, so we did last week, we did this like big monstrous episode with some of the cast of Mickey Mouse Club. Oh yeah and they were a part of that tour apparently which i didn't know
1: oh, i would love to have been i would love to have seen it when it was in its heyday i saw it when it was like you know like it was no longer a working studio, but they still had a studio backlot tour.
0: Yeah. My last trip to Hollywood Studios, I actually got picked to be a part of that and was utterly humiliated. But my <laughs> family loved it. They loved making fun of me for it. So, Of course.
1: My other honorable mention would have been to actually see a filming of the Mickey Mouse Club.
0: Oh, gosh. Can you imagine? So when I started like posting all this stuff on Instagram about Mickey Mouse Club, the only other Damon I've ever known in my life, I have a friend who was like, oh, I was on that show once. And, you know, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And I found the clip of him dancing to walk like an Egyptian when he was like a high school kid. Oh, I
1: man. I remember that episode. Filled.
0: And he was dancing with your favorite, Brandy.
1: Yes, my girlfriend.
0: Yes. She doesn't know it. <laughs> right. Nor does your wife, I assume. But actually, no, my wife's aware of it. OK, good.
1: <laughs> Did I tell you I auditioned for the Mickey Mouse Club? You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, it was the year that like Brittany and Christina and Ryan Gosling and Justin Timberlake all got in. That was the same year I auditioned. That's amazing. Yeah, they would had auditions at the Fairmont in San Francisco, and like my mom took me, and there was all these kids. Like, like my mom heard about it. She's like, "We should totally go. You love that show, and you love acting and dancing and stuff." And so we went, and like there's all these other professional like actor parents who are like they've got their headshots and like this resume, and like we we're like if we you just have a Polaroid, we stapled to the application, and we're just sitting there like, oh, uh, what are we doing? And they're all looking down our noses, and I was like, why are you even bothering to waste your time? And then we went, and like they went through the first round and my mom is waiting in the, the waiting room and like all these other like professional people keep coming back you know these kids with their professional stage parents like they keep walking out and like I don't show up they're like uh did they keep my kid? Like what happened? And I made it to the next round, which was pretty cool. Nice. That's awesome. That's as far as it got, but still that's a good story.
0: I mean, that is. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, they told me Brandy Brown was no longer on the show and I was like, I'm out.
0: <laughs> you removed yourself from consideration. That's the best.
1: I'm sorry, that was a super long tangent for my honorable mentions. I should get no, to my I number love it. one.
0: <laughs> All right. Let's hear it. Number
1: one, The Great Movie Ride. Really? That's your number one. I loved that thing. I was like, that was one of those things when I was a kid, seeing them talk about it. I'm like, oh, I want to see that. The idea of going through all these movies and like seeing them like in your face and I don't know. It was was very cool. That is amazing to me. I was
0: positive it was going to be Tower of Terror. I like that that Tower would be of your Terror, number Terror,
1: but just like the history of movies and being able to ride through it and the fact that like your host gets off the tram at some point and then you like the gunslinger takes over yes. your cart and takes you the rest of the way. I'm like, well, this is wacky.
0: You know, I think the reason I have a bad taste in my mouth about that ride is because the hosts that I've had have always been so over the top, like just cornball that I just uh, I couldn't do it. They were too much for me.
1: Yeah, it's like the Jungle Cruise. If you don't get a good exactly. skipper, it kind of taints the experience.
0: That's exactly right. Man, so thank you so much for giving us your five golden things. Where can folks find you online?
1: Well, you can find me at can't wait for That's where you can hear the can't wait for Christmas podcast comes out the 25th of every month or Rudolph day, which is a thing you didn't know was a thing, but now you do.
0: I do because of your show. It's true, <laughs> man. So I look forward to having you back later this year when we're talking about Christmas vacation, if not sooner, but thanks so much for being a part of this episode.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> All right.
0: If you, like Tim and me, and all of his listeners, love feeling Christmassy year round, be sure to check out his podcast at the link in the show notes for this episode. Huge thanks to Tim and Stephanie and my mom for being a part of this episode. Again, if you're in the Houston area, remember to register for Comic Palooza this weekend, May 10th through the 12th at the George R. Brown Convention Center downtown. Enter for our Evening with John Cusack ticket giveaway before next week's episode. And mark your calendars for Wednesday, June 12th at 7pm as we host our very first brand new monthly 30-pop pub-style trivia night at one of my favorite spots in town, Cafeza. In fact, as I thank you for listening to this episode, I'll go ahead and give you the answer to the very first question of that night. Fine young cannibals. Write it down, get your team together, and I'll see you there on June 12th. Thanks so much for listening, friends. We'll be back next week with an episode all about Dolly Parton, Richard Pryor, Bon Jovi, and young Jim Carrey. But until then, however far away, however long I stay, whatever words I say, I will always love you. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Millu Media Group, visit millieu.media.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1989 that you want to share on the air, email 30 podcast at gmail.com.